Oh, it is so good to see you guys. I'm glad that you're here. I hope you've had a good morning so far, a great weekend. And uh, maybe you have plans for tomorrow, uh, celebrating the 4th. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be with my family. I appreciate your prayers just as we get started. Well, first of all, if you have a Bible, go ahead and find 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be there. Uh, but just to say, um, last week uh, we were quarantined. And I was on sick bay duty with both Whitley and Abe. They tested positive for COVID over the weekend. I am negativo. I have taken so many tests. My nose is so raw, um, but we're good. And uh, we've graduated from COVID with Abe to a double ear infection. So appreciate your prayers <laughs> as we continue to fight that battle. Um, but I think they're doing, they're doing much better. Both of them are. So a lot of you guys have been really encouraging to us and, and you and your families as well. So thank you for that. And I don't want to say he's not here, but just to let the record show, uh, thank you to Justin Campbell, who gave a great, great message last week um, on real relationships, on trials, on the tempter and his schemes. I hope you were encouraged like I was when I got to listen back to it this past week. Today, though, we're continuing the theme of relationships by looking at Timothy's report to Paul of the church in Thessalonica. So Justin kind of hinted at that last week at the end of his sermon, uh, that that Timothy's going to bring a report to Paul. And and so when I was reading through this, kind of the thing that stuck out to me this week was the idea of of not just relationships, but friendship. And so the title of the message this morning is, is Gospel Friendships in Practice. Gospel Friendship in Practice. So my hope is that we're going to see from this report um, the report itself, what what Timothy is able to say to Paul about the church in Thessalonica and the relationship that we see there in that report. We're going to see Paul's response to that church on how they uh, have affected him and what they've led him to do in response. And then finally, we're going to finish our time together with one of Paul's prayers that he's not just going to say... um, you know, I hope that these things happen, but right in the middle of his letter, he's going to write out a prayer. Uh, may the Lord God, may the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ do these things. So we'll read just a bit, we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So you should have found 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 6. Read a couple verses together. Paul writes, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Let's just stop there and pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, we pray that as we gather together this morning as brothers and sisters, as those who love you and love this church and love your word, I pray, oh God, that you would bless us. Lord, I know that there's a thousand things going on in each of our lives. There are so many things for us to be concerned about, worried about, thinking about. And Lord, those are all real, real things in either in each of our lives. But in this moment, for these next few minutes, Lord, I pray that you would tune our hearts and our minds to focus in on you, to focus in on your word. And as you give me grace, Lord, would you help me to teach this word with clarity, with power, with authority? And would you, Holy Spirit, God, would you use your word to to bring about transformation and change? As we think about gospel friendship this morning, of what it means to be a true Christian brother or sister. 
Help us, help me, especially God, to, to search my own heart, to see what's in it, to, to repent of sin, to turn to Christ and to follow after him and his ways. Lord, I pray that we might see the beauty of the gospel in fresh ways this morning and be encouraged to follow you in it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we're going to focus on this morning is the report. So Paul mentions to the church that, that Timothy has come with a report. Remember, Paul was concerned about the church. Remember, he was only there for about three weeks. He got to share the gospel, uh, strengthen believers, teach them from the scriptures, and then he was uh, persecuted out of town. And Paul had to leave. And so ever since Paul had to leave, he's been concerned. Have the false teachers or the, the, the Jews who were stirring up rivalry and trouble in the town, were they successful? Were these believers in Thessalonica steadfast or did they waver away? Had the tempter that we learned about last week convinced them through direct or indirect ways to turn from the message that Paul had given them? Well, thanks be to God and to the encouragement of Paul, the answer is no. They remain steadfast in their faith and in their love. We have to notice right here, look at verse 6, at the beginning of what, uh, what kind of report this was for Paul. He says, Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news. He's brought us the good news of your faith and love. Don't miss it. That word good news, or those two words good news, is the same word translated as gospel. So real relationships, gospel friendship is going to be rooted and grounded in the gospel itself. And what Paul is saying is that when I hear of your faithfulness, when I hear of your love for Jesus, when I hear of your love for the saints and your love for one another and your steadfastness in faithfulness to his word, I'm hearing the gospel. I'm hearing the good news. The point is you and I, Sometimes we think about the gospel, the, the news that Jesus has come to save sinners from their sin, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead as the guarantee of our resurrection. We think about that gospel as, maybe, in, maybe if we're thinking about like a race, we think about the gospel sometimes as the gunshot, right? Like the gospel is the thing that starts us on this race. And we very quickly move from it because we're running on this race to get to heaven or to get to Jesus or whatever we want to say is at the finish line. But Paul is telling us, you and I don't graduate from the gospel. The gospel is not the gunshot of the race of the Christian life. It's the track. We never leave it. We're constantly reminded of the truth of the gospel. The church's faithfulness to Jesus here is a gospel grace to Paul. So he's hearing the gospel once again by hearing of their faith and love. And Paul's encouragement from his gospel friends continues as he hears that they remember them kindly and long to see them. The church in Thessalonica, according to Timothy, longs to see Paul and Silas and the others. And that word longing, maybe your translation says desire. It's the same word in the Greek version of the Old Testament for Psalm 42, verse 1. We know uh, in the Hebrew Old Testament, Psalm 42, verse 1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. In the Greek, it says, as my soul longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. Paul's using that same word. I long for you, church, in the same way that 
the deer pants and longs for streams of water in the same way that the psalmist longs for God. And I don't know about you, but it is always in a, a powerful encouragement to know that I am longed for. To know that someone out there longs to be with me, desires to be with me. That's one of the graced gifts of gospel friendship. Because the gospel, the news that Jesus came from heaven for you and for me to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for sin, to rise from the grave, all of that is an other-oriented work. Jesus is living out his life. He is performing these works for us. It's not self-centered. It's other-centered. So when our friendships are rooted in the gospel, they too are no longer self-centered. They're no longer so worried about what's in this relationship for me. What's in this friendship for me? What can I get out of this relationship? But instead it's other-oriented. It seeks the best of the other person. How can I serve this person? How can I pray for this person? How can I encourage this person? How can I show this person how valuable they are to God and how valuable they are to me? This is what Paul is feeling. This is what he's hearing from this church. And it keeps going. We get to notice with joy the work of God in others' lives. So so Paul's eyes are opened up to see their faith and their love is the work of God. I don't know about you, but like, I don't have the strength in and of myself to continue walking in love and in faithfulness. It's hard work. So Paul and his crew are comforted through the faith of the church. God's work in the church was a comfort to Paul. The news of their steadfastness is like the breath of life, he says. Look at verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Like we live, we get to live, we get to breathe, we get to keep on going because we know that you're standing steadfast. This report helps us consider the gospel and the ways it changes our relationships. I mean, how sweet it is. You've heard me say this before and it it bears repeating. How sweet it is to be encouraged by a brother or a sister. To have someone say to you, hey, I see this. I notice this. I see God working in your life in these ways. Perhaps we can think about our own friendships and our own relationships and ask ourselves the question, are are we the kind of encourager that Paul is being right now to the church in Thessalonica? Because the gospel frees us up to do that. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But not only is the report important for us, but the response is worthy of our imitation. So let's keep reading verse 9. Paul keeps going. For what thanksgiving... Can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So we've seen the report and how uh, Paul received the report. And now he's talking about his response. So if you're taking notes, number two, the response is what we're looking at here in verses nine and 10. Paul's response to this report of the church's love and faithfulness is to recognize that God has given him a gift. So don't miss this. Paul's response to to hearing this report of how the church in Thessalonica is doing is 
his recognition that, oh God, you have given me a gift. This church, these friends are God's gift to Paul in this moment. So his response is to bring to God in prayer all the joy, all the thanksgiving that he can muster up knowing that it doesn't compare with the actual giver or the actual gift. I mean, look again at verse nine. He says, what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? Like, what do I have to, to, to try to balance the scales here? It's impossible. I can't thank God enough for the joy that you have given me, the joy that we feel for your sake. This is what the gospel produces in each of us. As we believe the gospel, as we believe in who we are in Christ, it brings us freedom. Now, this freedom is not a kind of worldly understanding of that word, right? You go out in the world and you ask the question, what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to have freedom? You'll probably get an answer, something to the effect of, well, it's the ability to do what you want. That's what it means to be free. Scripture does not have that definition of freedom. Scripture's definition of freedom is the ability to do what you were made for. The ability to do what you ought because of who you are as an image bearer of God. And if you and I were made as image bearers of God, we were made to reflect God's glory, then our, our purpose is to not bring glory and honor to ourselves, but to look outside of ourselves to God and be that reflection. So we get freedom to get our eyes off of ourselves and on to others, seeing what he is doing in their lives. And that's exactly what Paul is modeling for you and me here. He's so wrapped up in God's work in the church in Thessalonica that he's saying, all, the only thing that's here for me is joy, right? But I'm not worried about me. I'm just thinking, how can I praise God? How can I thank God? How can I worship God in response to the work that he's done in your life? Because the gospel gives us the freedom to really see, it gives us the freedom to really enjoy. Now we have all this to bring before the Lord in our prayers. We can say as we look around and, and think about our friends, think about the people that you love to be around. Think about the people that you have been walking through life with. Perhaps it's the people in your grade that for right, wrong, or indifferent reasons, or good reasons that you think are good or bad, uh, it, whether you're in junior high or in high school, there are people around your table that you've been with for a long time. And you may or may not consider them to be friends. But I think if we have our eyes open, we can look back and say, man, that, that girl is not who she was two years ago. Or that guy is not who he was two or three years ago. And if all we do is say, hmm, that's interesting we've missed the gift that Paul is showing us. Instead, we might be able to say, oh God, I see what you have done in her life. How amazing is that? Or Lord, I see what, you've, what you're doing right now in this man's life, this, this student, this friend of mine's life. How wonderful is that? God, would you keep doing those things? When we have the freedom to get our eyes off of ourselves and see what God is doing in the people around us, the joy that we will experience will not decrease, it will increase. 
because we will be more open and have our eyes more focused in to see what the God of glory is doing all around us. And that's going to lead to joy. That's going to lead to worship. But it doesn't stop there. Because the gospel frees us up to have real friendships that are other-oriented, our hearts long to join in on what God is doing. So we don't just thank God. We don't just praise God for the work that he's doing in the lives of our friends. We want to enter in. This is verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He wants to be with them. He wants to be the means by which God continues to bless them. Real gospel friendship desires real presence that leads to real love and support. So in your generation, there's this interesting substitution going on. In one sense, your generation is more connected to other people than any other generation in the history of the world. When you have the internet, you have social media. These things are second nature to you. And you have access to people near and far anytime you want for as long as you want. And yet, your generation is statistically the most lonely. Now, why is that? Why is it that in one sense, you're the most connected, but also the most separated, isolated? I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them is we have believed that we can substitute real relationship, real friendship, face-to-face being with one another with this. And we, we think that, that seeing a person here and talking to a person here is a fitting substitute for this right here. And it's not. I mean, Paul's, I mean, think about this. Paul is using the best technology he has to get information from him to a church miles and miles away. He's writing a letter. I mean, it's the first century equivalent of shooting a text message, right? Like he's sending information away from himself towards another person. And what is he saying in the middle of that information? We pray night and day that we can be with you face to face. Like this is, praise God that we have the technology to write something down and send it to you, but it is nothing in comparison to being with you, brothers and sisters, to being in your presence and for me to be in your presence, for us, our lives to mingle together. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you, as you think about the ways in which you interact with your friends, as you think about the ways in which you interact with other people, you're going you're gonna to notice something, and so I'm going to challenge you in it. You're probably going to notice that real, physical, tangible relationship feels unnatural to you. If, if this is normal, 
the way in which you interact with your friends, then physical relationship or being physically present with one another is going to feel unnatural. And my challenge to you is by God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit that you would reverse those two things. That what would feel natural and normal and desirous to you is that you would long to be face-to-face with your friends. That you would see them, that they would see you. And that yes, you can interact with them and use technology and use social media. These are wonderful gifts, but they are terrible substitutes. And that every time you send off a message, you might have just in a, a, a moment of thought, man, I wish I could be with that person right now to have this conversation. How much better this would be. Again, I'm not saying that social media is bad or using technology is bad. Those things are gifts. We can use them as gifts. But Paul is showing us that real gospel friendship desires to lean into that friendship, lean into that presence that would lead to real love and support. Now, sometimes that kind of love is hard. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. Sometimes gospel friendship and filling up what is lacking in another person's faith looks like a difficult conversation or bearing a deep burden or walking alongside someone in pain. And by God's grace, it is just his providence and irony. Like that, that's me this week. Like I have, I have had to be the person this week to say, I'm just really weak. And I need people in my life to come alongside me to fill up what's lacking in my faith. I know that these things are true. I know in my head that the gospel is true, that God is faithful, that he's good, and all that he does is good, that he's kind to me, that he's never, ever, ever in his discipline and his chastisement, he has never intended to discourage me. And yet here I am feeling discouraged. So what do I need in that moment? When I know the truths of God's word in my head, but I'm not feeling it in my heart. I need brothers and sisters to be with me. I need friends who love me, who can remind me those things and not just remind me in their words, but remind me in their presence. And that gift is offered to all of you who would reach for it. The people in this room can be those kinds of people. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun all the time, but it will be for your good. The gospel frees us to see the other person and to love them as Christ loves us, which means that we die to ourselves for the sake of the other person. But in our own strength, that kind of life is impossible. It's impossible. Which brings us to our final section where Paul makes a request for God to move. So let's read verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul has received the report. He has made the response to the church. And now, third point, he makes a request. He appeals to God in prayer right here in the letter for God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ 
to do three things. And I think each of them are helpful for us as we kind of land the plane this morning. First, in verse 11, he asks God to bring these brothers and sisters together. That he would direct our way, Paul says, so that they might be together. They both experience the longing for the other's presence. So he asks God, would you eliminate the distance? I mean, like that, this is a, I feel this tension. I feel this problem. God, would you fix that problem? Would you direct our way back to this church? That's a good thing for us to pray as well for one another. Not just physical distance, right? Because, I mean, some of you are sitting around the same table as one another, but maybe among brothers and sisters in your life, maybe among you and your friends, there might be some other kind of distance, some relational distance, some emotional distance, some problem that has made you fall away from each other rather than bring you closer together. God is able to overcome those things and to unite brothers and sisters further in love. Second, he asks God in verse 12 to make the church increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as Paul does for the church. Paul knows that the God who is love is able to cause the church's love for one another to increase. He believes that God is able to do that. If God is love, he can cause love to grow. And as it increases, it will more and more clearly reflect the love of God to all who see them. I mean, the fact is when Paul is saying, I want your love to increase and abound for one another and for all, what he's saying is, as you and I love one another as the body of Christ, the world will notice something. I mean, the world's going to notice something regardless right? They're going to notice how do we live together? How do we interact together? How do we live in this room and in this building and out there in the community when we come alongside one another? And the way in which we love or fail to love one another is going to send a message to the world. Is it going to send the message of, hmm, they don't seem to really love one another that well, so I can't really believe that they are actually following the God that they say is love. They'll get a glimpse of the love of Jesus and the love that Jesus has for us when they see us loving each other. Our witness is the world's window. So how we live our life is going to be what the world sees when they hear, hey, we we would love for you to come to summer Bible study Tuesday night. I mean, we we have a bunch of friends. We get together. It's fellowship. We have a play games. There's snacks. It's it's just a ton of fun. We would love for you to come be a part of that. And if they come and they see a group of students, a group of teenagers who love one another, it will be a window into something even greater. Now you don't change the gospel but you can clean the window or you can cover it up and you can refuse to show the world what is actually on the other side. Finally, in verse 13, Paul asks that God may establish the hearts of the church as blameless in holiness before him. So we've talked a lot about love this morning. 
and how gospel friendship frees us up to love one another well. Love and gospel friendship is sweet and it is intended to lead to Christ-likeness, which means it will seek to produce holiness. So what we want for our friends as Christians more than anything is that our friends would begin to look more and more like Jesus and stand before him one day blameless. Like what I want for you and what I want for my friends and what I want for the people who are near and dear to me more than anything, if I have my head on straight, is I want them to look like Christ. I want them to be able to stand before God blameless because they're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. If we really believe that, it will change the way we interact with all of our friends. And we may discover who our real friends really are. Because you may get into a process of realizing that some people are not your friend Some people just want what you have. And if we're honest, we may say, I'm actually not being a friend. I'm just manipulating to get something that I want. Whether it's status or being in with a certain group of people or being seen by other people or fill in the blank. I want for you to know the joy of having friends. And and here's the reality. You may not have many. I wouldn't say that I have many. But the ones that I do have are priceless gifts. People who know me, that I know, that I don't have to have my guard up at all in front of, that that I can go to them with my, my pains and my hurts and my joys and the, and the response of a friend when I bring joy to them is that the joy multiplies because they get to rejoice in my joy. And the response of a friend when I bring my pain to them is my pain gets divided because they get to carry the burden. I know that when Jesus returns, All of our eyes, if we are believers, they will be fixed on him as they should be. But we will also be filled with the joy in knowing that we will go to Jesus with our friends. And we'll get to be with him and with them forever. So my prayer for you as we move to discuss this is that you would be honest with yourself, be honest with one another, think about the the priority of gospel friendship. See from Paul and from the church in Thessalonica what it might look like in your own life if in the days and weeks ahead you begin to put into practice what it means to be a friend. and You begin to pursue the, the friendship of others who love Christ and love you. Let me pray.